You know, happy Mother's Day to all the, the moms and grandmas. And um, I see my great-grandmother out there. Great-grandmothers as well. Yes, yes, she is present by the pole over there. I see you. I see you. And I love you. I do. I love you. I do. And, um, you know, we're, we're now at the end of a, of a journey that we've made out of Easter. And this had to do with choices that were connected to the cross. And just to, again, not to make an assumption, all of us have been here together, but this is the last part of that series. This is sort of represents uh, an end point to where we've been. And uh, we started by talking about the first choice that was made, of course, by Jesus himself, the choice that he made to go and to walk a path of suffering for us and to give himself for us. And um, we talked about how that was a choice he made. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He did it because he loved us. And he was committed to the Father. And it made him courageous. We talked about being courageous. We talked about another man who was in the crowd when Jesus was passing by. And, and the Lord in his natural self, uh, in his natural state, was physically unable to carry his own cross. And we marvel at that. And at the same time, we remember this, the, the account that says that there was a man in the crowd who probably had no idea that he was going to be involved in what happened. He was just a bystander, as far as we can tell, watching something take place in the streets of Jerusalem. He maybe had made a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he found himself caught up in something that um, he could not have anticipated when the Roman called him out of the crowd and said, you get out of here, come here and carry this cross. And Simon from Cyrene was compelled to carry, to help carry the cross of Jesus to his place of execution on um, Golgotha, Skull Hill, the place where Jesus was executed and crucified. And Simon, we talked about how that was a choice, but it really was, wasn't much of a choice at all. And we, we talked about how sometimes life gives us a choice, but it's really not much of a choice at all. And we are being compelled to carry something that we would not have chosen, really. We, it, was, it was a disruption. It was an interruption. It was, it was not fair. It was wrong. It shouldn't have happened to me, but I'm having to carry it. You see, that, we talked about that. We talked about how we're supposed to navigate that. How do we move forward in those places in life? How can we call on God to, to work with us in those places where we are forced to carry things that we don't want to carry? And yet we reminded ourselves that God can bring amazing things into our even difficult places that we would not have chosen if we are willing to bring him in. And then we talked about the choice that Jesus made when he hung on the cross uh, a very unexpected choice he made when he, the first thing from his mouth that also affected those who were on the cross was when he prayed. He prayed and responded to the taunts and to the, to the angry words and to the, the absolute just uh, evil that was all around him by praying for uh, his murderers. And it was almost like it was just so radical that he would pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we talked about, yes, they did, but no, but no they didn't. I mean, and we talked about, remember, the choice to live the forgiving life? We talked about how there might be moments in our lives where God calls us to radical forgiveness. But, if, but for one thing we know for sure, to follow Jesus means to commit ourselves to live the forgiving life, that we are to live in such a way that we try to live light. And we seek to bring the Lord into the places of our lives where we might be deeply wounded and angry. And we say, Lord, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. You are welcome here, and I, I ask you to help me to, to be a person who doesn't hold on to things and to walk with angerness and to be defined by my wound, 
but to learn to live in the joy that you have for me, to live in the peace of God, to be a, a person who chooses not to take offense when we can. We have all the right to. And yet to, to forgive is a choice. And we talked about what it means to forgive and how the Lord showed us an extreme example of forgiveness and how that's something that, if it works its way into our lives, it's going to produce blessing all around us. We're going to live light. We're going to live free. We're going to, we're going to be a person who brings blessing. Then we talked about last week what we actually had explored during the Easter presentation itself. We talked about the thieves who were hanging on the cross and how one of those thieves, a very unlikely, in a very unlikely situation, ended up making a confession that nobody else in the whole world was making. He actually appealed to Jesus saying, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And I'll tell you, at that time, when he chose to say those words in front of everybody, Jesus hardly looked like anybody worth believing in. He looked like anything but a king. And it must have made the heart of the Lord leap when someone on, someone, an unlikely character, a man who had nothing left to live for and nothing left to give, when he made that prayer, it was courageous, it was risky, it was a choice, and the Lord responded to it. We talked about that. Now we come to what we're going to focus on in the minutes that we have left. And I'm hoping and believing that it will actually work uh, together with just the overall feel of this day, which, you know, it's Mother's Day. And I think it's appropriate then that we also explore the choice that was made by Jesus when he was on the cross to take care of his mother. And I want to look at the account of it in John 19. And I want to draw some things from it. So let's, let's look at this together in John 19. And um, we will read, with, starting with verse 17. And it says, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross. Stop right there. It was an especially bitter and punishing custom of Rome to make a condemned man carry his own cross, or at least a piece of it. Sort of like having someone dig their own grave before they were put in it. It was a cruel punishment. And um, it was also, interestingly enough, the cross, which we now think of in a very different way because of Jesus, was actually, you know, a tool of death and torture. But it represents something far different now because of him. And yet one of the things that is interesting to note is that early on in Jesus' ministry, he actually talked about the cross. When he was talking to his disciples, and we'll just put this up in Luke 9, early on he, was, he said to them something very radical, something that went against the grain of what they were expecting. He said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Think about this and follow me. One of the things this emphasizes is the fact that following Jesus is a daily thing. It's, a, it's something that's going to require us to think about not just what we get, but also what we are to give. Um, a crossless Christianity is no Christianity at all. It, it really involves a cost. I mean, part, you know, you got to remember, when Jesus said these words, it must have jarred his disciples. Because they were partly following him, partly, like many, of, many would do today. <laughs> because, you know, if wealth and power and the possibility of success and prestige and being aligned with someone who was clearly great and to be part of his entourage and to be connected to him and all the honor that went along with it. They had dreams. They had things that they expected. They believed him to be Messiah. And yet to have Jesus <laughs> take those things and instead fling a cross at them, it jarred them. It must have hit them hard. It must have made them wonder, what are we getting ourselves into? And Jesus didn't try to bait and switch this thing. He told everybody on the front end, look, there are times when following me is going to cost you something. 
I talk about life. I talk about blessing. I talk about eternal things. I talk about what it means to live in the abundance of God. But let me also remind you that following me will at times require you to yield something, to give it up. There are times where it's going to require self-restraint, going the extra mile, going against the grain of what we want, even against, the, even against in our context, the grain of prevailing culture. We have to be open to walking to the beat of a different drum at times. And that, that is part of what it means to follow the Lord. It says, it says, Jesus carrying his cross. Notice it goes on to say this in verse 17. He, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is in, in the Hebrew called Golgotha. And that's where they crucified him, the two others with him. We talked about the thieves last week. One on either side. We don't know which side the, the, the repentant thief was on. But Jesus was in the middle, in the center. And John refers to this whole thing with an astonishing brevity and starkness, very broad strokes, very little reference to the suffering, the physical anguish of Jesus. You see barely any of it. He instead focuses his eyes on other things. Verse 19 says, Now Pilate, who was the governor of Rome at the time representing Rome in Jerusalem, Judea, Pilate had been the one who had made the ultimate decision to have Jesus put to death. But he had done so because in his mind, and this is a bit of a side note, but he had, he had felt that he had been boxed into a corner, that the chief priests and the leaders had put him in a position where he was going to kill his career. Um, it's not that he had any affection for Jesus. He just feared him. He didn't really want to do it, and yet, at the same time, he valued certain things far more. And so he was upset. He does something to intentionally get back at the, at the enemies of the Lord, um, he, he does something to get back at the chief priests. And notice what it says here. It says, that many, it says, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Remember how Rome would put, would put some type of a description on a piece of wood, sometimes hang it around the victim's neck as they were walking, or sometimes have a soldier carry it. But that same piece of wood, which described the crime, would then be hammered up onto the cross. And this was hammered up on the cross of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, when the people who were coming by, and it was written here, we're told in John's account in Hebrew and Greek, and we're also referred to the fact that it was also written in Latin, the three great languages of that day in that region that Rome utilized, Greek and Latin, and then, of course, Jerusalem, Hebrew. These lang- it, so it was very much designed to get people's attention. It was like a bullhorn. And it was put right out there. And Pilate had it hammered up. And the people had noticed it. And they went to the priest and they taught them about it. And the priest went back to Pilate and they say, wait a second. Um, You made a mistake on the description that you put on top of this man. He's a criminal. You should put, notice, Jesus of Nazareth who says he is king of the Jews. Not that. What I've written, I've written. It was the response of a petty man, not a confession of faith, but a petty response, like get, take, getting back at him for what they, for the position they put him in. To check, it really, his ambition was checked and forced him into a corner. And as a result, he responds this way. So this whole thing is going on around Jesus. Notice we push forward here. It says that Pilate answered, "What I have written, I have written." Verse twenty-three. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts. To each soldier was given a part, and also, of course, the tunic. That we're told about. Um, we read this, and then it says that the tunic was woven from the top in, uh, in one piece, so the robe uh, was valuable. Typically, those who were on crucifixion duty were given the opportunity to have uh, whatever clothing that, or possessions that the prisoner had. 
and they split it all up, but there was one piece of garment, we talked about this, that was seen to be more valuable because of the way it was sewn. It didn't have a typical seam. It was sewn from top to bottom. As a result, it was more valuable. They didn't want to rip it up and divide it or lose its value, so they decided to gamble for it. They gambled for it as Jesus is dying. Now, I want us again to pause for one final moment. This is the last time we're really going to talk about this in a little bit of a while, you know, because this is the end of the Easter, the aftertide of Easter is now coming to a close here for us, and we're going to pull our gaze away from the cross. But I want us to pause one more time and not run rapidly past this. Because I was struck personally again by the amazing humiliation that Jesus endured for us, for me, for you. The fact of the matter is that, that, you know, I cannot imagine what it is like to be, you know, he was was stripped down. Uh, They took his clothes off. They gambled for him at his feet while he hung. Basically, in some, some commentators say that, that, they would, that Rome just strip you completely naked. Others say they'd leave you a loincloth on you. But the bottom line is Jesus is hanging there naked in the sun as they gamble for his clothes. You know, why, do you, why would you do this? Why would God do this? The Bible, you know, one of the things we, God, I mean, well, God so loved this world that he gave his only, gave his only begotten son. I, I understand that part of what is happening here is he becomes for us the life giver, by giving his own life. That he who was rich becomes poor, that we who are poor may be made rich. That someone had to pay a price, but who would be that nice to pay a debt that wasn't his? As the old poet says in his song, I know, a friend, I know someone like that, he's your best friend, he really is. You know, it's Jesus. He gives everything. But I think also part of that is that the Lord identifies with us. Truly, there, a part of what is happening here is Jesus is identifying us with us as a people, as a race, as human beings, in the worst. He's, he, he's suffering. He's abandoned. He's forsaken. He's wounded. People say, well, a lot of times I hear people say, well, God doesn't understand. But he does. He suffered. I say, why would God allow this? I don't know, I say sometimes. On this side of eternity, there are some questions even I would wish could be answered, but they won't be answered to the way I want them answered. But what I do know is this. He may not always give the answer, but he gives himself. And he gave himself. And he fully enters into the sin and the shame and the hurt and the pain, and he engages it, and he touches us, and he knows our heart, and he knows our wound, and he loves us still, and he gives himself for us. He honors us by giving us a gift that we could never, ever, ever be worthy of. He gives us himself. Notice, we go forward here. It says that the soldiers, when they had crucified him, they took his garments, and again, they gambled for them, and it's fulfilled a portion of the scripture in verse 24. It says, then they, they said, therefore, among themselves, let's not tear it, and they gambled for it, and we just talked about that in verse 25. Notice what we're told here. We're told that there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, notice, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's a lot of Marys there, all right? But... One of the things that has always amazed me is the, the, the people who were there at the cross. Because part of the question that we have right now is, um, where are the disciples? I mean, the women are there. They're there with their loyal heart, not having any sense of of comprehension at the truly, the the, the absolute thing that is taking place here. It doesn't make sense. It's awful. It's ugly. It's it's painful to see, but they are there. 
Where are the, where are the disciples? Three years, he pours his heart into them, trains them up. Three years, he gives, he gives them all that he can give. And where are they? When they really need him, where, where are they? they were, a week before, they were in the streets walking with Jesus when the crowds were welcoming him into the city, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, waving palms, crying out, Hosanna. This is it. And you can see the disciples walking in the sunlight to the streets of Jerusalem. This is everything we dreamed of. Yes, Yes, Jesus. And they're walking with it. They're, they're high. They're happy. They're joyful. They're ecstatic. They are with him. They are proud to be with him. But where are they now? Nowhere to be found. Gone. Don't want to have anything to do. Scared to death. Running away. Nowhere to be found. Because why? As he hangs there, a mangled mess, utterly forsaken, there's nobody there to stand with him but just the women. And we're told here that only one other. You know, the night before, when Jesus was betrayed, he had told them something. Just check this out. This is what he said to them. And this is from Matthew 26. He said this. He says, listen to me. And I can see Jesus looking into their eyes, saying, I'm going to tell you something. He said, this night, all of you, every one of you, look at me. You claim to love me. And I believe in a way, I truly believe you do, but you don't know what's coming. And all of you are going to be made to stumble because of me. The, another version says, you will be offended because of me. You will be ashamed to know me. You will run from me. You will disown me. All of you will stumble because of me. He says, because it is written this night, because it is written that when you, when you smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And you know what? That word had come true. Only, as far as we can tell, only John had actually returned. He had come carefully back and been there and was with, with the women there, with Mary. He was there. He, he had found his way back to the scene. And it was awful. And it looked like the dream was over. And it was a bad ending. It wasn't just an ending. It was a bad ending. It was an ugly ending. But look what happens here. It says, verse 26, Then when, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. Now, that's how John referred to himself in the third person. Whenever you see that, he calls himself one loved by Jesus. And, and the picture we have is of Jesus on the cross, and this is the third recorded saying of him on the cross. But one of the things that he does, clearly he has to be within view. One of the things we can tell from this is that he, he was within some close proximity to where he could see his mother, and he also saw John. And he says to his mother, he says, woman, behold your son. Right? Now, that, that's woman, because at this moment, you must not think of me as your, as your son, but as your savior, really. It's, it's a statement. At the same time, there's, a, there's something about this that's tender and moving. And, and then he says to, to John, he says, and behold, and you can see Jesus looking at your mother. Right? And it says that from that moment on, John cared for Mary as if it were his own. So we're told here, it says, then he said to the disciple, behold your mother, verse 27. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own, his own home. Now let me, let me submit some things here that speak to me, and I'm hoping we will, we will be affected by them, that we can draw from this. The first thing I want to suggest is that Jesus was committed to his relational responsibilities. He really was. He models this for us. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of times we can separate 
true spirituality and true commitment to the Lord from the, our basic responsibilities in life and somehow separate that into a duality where we can somehow live one way and profess something else and disconnect it. And there's one thing that Jesus models for us as he is saving the world. It's what it means to take care of a responsibility. I mean, really, he was the oldest. His half-brothers, we know, didn't even believe in him at all and would not until after the resurrection. That Joseph was dead. In their culture, the eldest was responsible. Jesus, in the middle of everything else that is going on, everything that is going on, they miss the pain, but that's not just it. The, the spiritual dynamic. If what the scripture says was actually happening was happening, if what it says was going on in the spiritual realm was actually taking place, then what he does here is absolutely amazing because he pulls out of the spiritual dynamic of everything that is taking place in the plan of God and the suffering of the moment, and he pulls in and he handles a very practical thing and he makes a statement to all of us who would follow him that we have to take our walk with God and bring it into the context of our everyday life. Specifically, it's got to show up in the way in which we engage our key relationships. It has to be there. It has to show. That is, it is something that we, can't, we cannot miss. I mean, Jesus is modeling it for us. He's taking time to, to honor his mother. He's making, it, he's making a movement here to commit to her well-being. He's having his disciple. He's making sure that that end is taken care of. He's ending. Think about it. I mean, you could say, well, why bother with such things when so many other things are going on? But it meant something to him to do it. And he shows us something there, that it's important to take care of things. That it, it actually matters. I mean, if you think about it, this is an amazing mixture here on the cross, right? Of the human and the divine, of the suffering and the supremacy, of the temporal and the eternal, of the spiritual and the practical. It's all there. And this blending together of these things and the choice by Jesus to honor his mother is really suggested for you and I um, because it reminds us that we really do need to show up in our relationships. That it actually matters a lot to God how we care for one another, how we, how we sacrifice for one another, how we pay attention, um, how we express our love and how love is committed. I see committed love all over this account. I see it in the women who show up at the cross. Their love was loyal. Loyalty shows up. And that leads me to the second thought here. And that there's a blessing that comes when we're actually just present and available. There's something to be said about it. Think about this. John is given the blessing, the great honor and distinction of, by Jesus of entrustment with his, his mother, earthly mother, right? His mother. Why did he get that? Because he was there. At least in part, there was nobody else. There's something about being available. There's something about being present. There's something about showing up. You know... I learned this lesson. I'm not saying I got it all down, but I was a young man <laughs> when I was a young man many years ago as a teenager. Um, I was just beginning to follow the Lord, and I was very committed to this. I was in um, high school. I played a lot. I was playing soccer, and I would play out of school sometimes and just pick up games as people do. 
and I had friends, and there were people we were playing with. Some of them were older, um, advanced. They were, they were older than me, and we would play together. And I remember there was one day that stands out in my mind because something happened when I was playing that day. It never happened to me in other times, but it happened that day. I was playing, and I, I, had, I had slid, and I hit, I hit the, the person who was a really good, he was a good player. I hit him from behind, slightly from behind, and just the way it happened, uh, it was a questionable angle. I hit that, I slid, and we collided, and when, we got, when he got up, I remember, remember he was screaming, and his foot had, it had turned the opposite way, and I started, I know, sorry about that. And I had, I had, I was devastated. I, I, I was coming in and paramedics came and they took him to the hospital. And I remember how awful I felt. One of the things though, and I didn't have a lot of, at that moment, I didn't have a lot of guidance in my life. That's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. But I remember how badly I felt and I didn't want to talk to him. I felt so bad about it that I delayed going to see him. And finally, when I got up enough courage, a day had passed. I never forget what he said to me when I came in. I said, how are you doing? And he said to me, I thought you were a Christian. Where have you been? And it hit me so hard because I did it because it was so awkward and I didn't want to do it. And I say, but some of you might say, that's nothing. But for me, it reminded me, he just wanted me to show up. And I couldn't, do, I was afraid. I didn't want to, I felt bad. I didn't want to have to face it. And so you know what? There's something to be said, and it was a great lesson for me, not to run away from things that, are just, that you don't want to do. The Lord will challenge us to step into things that we may not want to face. Now listen to me. Showing up sometimes is, is the very thing God wants. He's not even saying that you, we're going to handle it perfectly right and it's not always going to be all slotted in nice and easy, but will we show up? Will we be there? Will we, will we come? You know, there's something about being available to God. There's something about saying, Lord, I'm, re- I'm here, I'm open, I'm ready, uh, use me, I'm perfect, I can't do it all right, I don't always say it right, I don't always, I, don't, I'm try- I want to be more open to growing with you, but Lord, I'm here, I'm open, I'm available. Please use me, give me, and you know what? I'm gonna, this will be the last thing I'll say about this. When we are given things, may we, may we honor those, the, that entrustment. May we really care for it. May we, may we honor the things, literally, may we honor what the Lord entrusts to our care. And that might be people that even now the Lord has put into our heart and mind. And we know, we know it as real as John was told by Jesus to take care of Mary, and he did. It says that from that day on, that disciple took her in. He wanted us to know, I honored his request. There are things, listen, that God puts into our lives. Some people, they may be big. Others, they may not be that noticeable. But we know God gave them to us. And how we love those things. And how we care for those things. And how we sacrifice for those things. And how we choose to honor God as we relate and love and commit ourselves, that matters. It really does. More than we'll ever know, who can say all the blessing that will flow when we honor the entrustments of the Lord? Part of what I'm appealing for in the name of the Lord is that we would all take more seriously 
and not take the easy way and not run away when we want to run away and not avoid when we want to avoid. But face things, deal with things, work through things, be there, be there, be there. Love well, honor the Lord. Trust God to keep growing us. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying it's got to show up in the everydayness of our life, in the relationships. I mean, we're celebrating a day in which we really are honoring a mother's love. We're talking about the quality, that virtue, that beauty of that sacrifice. When I think of that, I think of something sacrificial that gives and keeps on giving. Some of us, I have been, been told how your mothers and grandmothers and aunts prayed for, I've heard story, I came back, I've come back to the Lord, and people have been praying for me all my life. And I say, we get to be an answer to that prayer. We're part of it. Thank you, Lord. And the thing about it is God gives us things. You know, some of us right now, the temptation will be to run away from things God wants us to embrace and hold and to be strong and to be honorable and to be courageous and to be sacrificial and to love well, even as he has loved us. And how many will live because we are willing to live the life he's called us to live? Lord, as we are here, this good day, this beautiful, beautiful day that you have made, and it's so good to be alive. And we don't know the number of our days, but we know that there are people in our lives that you've given us that are blessings to us, Lord. And they mean enormous amounts to us, Lord. And we know that they are to us a gift and a sacred entrustment, Lord. And I pray that we would live well and honor you well, Lord, in that place. And I, I just think about the things that you're continually trying to develop in our lives, Lord. And there's always a path that you have for us and you have things for us to grow into and a way for us to walk. And sometimes, Lord, that path is going to require us to really be stretched and to face things and to deal with things and to grow through things. Other times, Lord, it's just going to require us to be strong and committed love and to not let the issue be what we want, but what we can give in your name. And that is a hard place to go sometimes. But didn't you show us how to do it? And I pray, Lord, not only that you would be our example, but that your presence would strengthen us to do the things that you've asked us and given us the great blessing to do. May we love the things you've called us to love and the people, Lord, you've given us. May we be faithful, committed, and loyal. May we show up in Jesus' name. I pray these things, Lord, and I pray that you'd bless this closing song that we're ending with in our time of giving as well. May we as a church honor you in it. This is what we ask together in your name this day.